Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about a big, busy week in racing that we've just had. Um, joining me in the studio, Richard Uden, Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing? Doing pretty good in Oklahoma. Storm-free right now. <laughs> Storm-free in Oklahoma. That sounds like a country song. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> for another day uh so anyway jam-packed weekend two indy car races at texas um formula one in portugal another one of our favorite classic tracks um <laughs> nascar in kansas uh and then uh, the next gen car made its debut earlier today um so we'll get to all that later but obviously the biggest news story this week is the passing of bobby unser um here's a guy that uh is Truly, you know, one of your motor racing legends. He's the he's from that era where the guys would race anything, anywhere, you know, to to either to either make a buck or or to make their name, you know. And, and Bobby's about done it all. I mean, he's a he's got a Formula One start. He's he's run stock cars. He's you know run USAC and Indy cars. Obviously, he's won the uh, championship in USAC. He's won the Indy five hundred three times. Um, then he was a color commentator for ABC for a number of years. Um, but he's just kind of, you know, he's one of those great characters of the sport. You know, the sport has great characters, especially guys from that era, you know, Mario, AJ, Johnny Rutherford, all those guys were great characters. So, so it's, it's sad that Bobby's gone. And uh, there've been a lot of, a lot of tributes for Bobby. He just, you know, he, he really meant a lot to a lot of people. A lot of people appreciated his, no holes barred opinions because Bobby would tell you, tell you, tell you like it is, you know, he even at the expense, he'd call out his own brother. He said, well, yeah, Al's going to drive wherever he's going to make the most money. He don't care about winning. He said that about his brother when he left, uh, when Al left uh, Jim Hall chaparral to, to drive the Longhorn car. But um, yeah, I've got a couple memories of Bobby. I, um, the first IndyCar race I ever attended uh, was at Watkins Glen in 1979. It was also the first road course uh, race staged by the Kart Series, um, and I did get a chance to meet Bobby Bobby Utzer in the garage there, and uh, got his autograph. Is one of the first the autographs I got as a kid, and uh, he ended up winning the race. So I've, I've always just remembered the first IndyCar race I went to. Bobby Utzer won, and I, I just remember it well. And then there was this uh, time a little more recently, 2014. If you've ever met my wife, you, you know that she will just strike up conversation with complete strangers anytime. She just that type of person that people are drawn to her as well. She just loves talking to people. So we were at the Speedway in Indianapolis and uh, I had strolled away to do whatever, take some photos or, or whatnot. And when I come back, she's just chatting away with Bobby Unser, just like they've been best of friends forever talking. And she had no idea who he was. She says, Frank, Frank, I want you to, this nice man I just met. He's from Albuquerque. I'm like, you know who that nice man is. <laughs> but but it didn't even phase Bobby that, you know, she didn't recognize him. You know, sometimes a famous person will give you the, don't you know who I am? But uh, Bobby was just more than happy to just sit and chat with her about the weather and the race and where you're from and those kind of things. So uh, um, just another thing I, I appreciate about him. And lastly, my, my last 
memory of Bobby I wanted to share is we actually had Bobby Usher on this very show about four or five years ago. And he was really an interesting interview subject and he's very opinionated. And then we got him a little riled up talking about racers today. And I just remember he just, he, his voice got a little louder. He was talking about why, you know, the attendance and viewership in racing may be down because he said that the drivers were the stars back when he was driving. And these days he said, nobody wants to worship a doggone computer. And I just thought that was hilarious. So uh, rest in peace, Bobby Usher. Godspeed to you. Louise, uh, what are your thoughts on Bobby Usher? I know you followed the IndyCar series very closely. I know Bobby is uh, before your time, but uh, obviously he's still spoken about a lot. Yeah, a little bit before my time. I think the first recollection of Bobby Usher that I remember vividly, as other than that he won the 85 murders three times, was simply the 82 500 when he was helping Jose Le Garza out. He was talking about how, like, what was it, Rick Mears, the front row, you know, the whole Kevin Kogan ordeal happened, that he was saying, like, they were going too slow, way too much too slow, and all, he couldn't believe it, and all of that stuff. He was kind of, like, he was very vocal about it. And then, over time, I saw some of those ABC broadcasts, like, he was passionate. He was basically, in some eyes, James Hunt of the Americas. What the BBC and around the world had with James Hunt, we had it with Bobby Unser. So their styles are different, but they were very unique to their own. And he was just looking back. It's like he did so many things, like got a great run and drove for Smokey Unit. He did the Pikes Peak thing a lot. The Formula One, you mentioned how he and Mario have that interesting ordeal, how to get from Monza to Indianapolis, I believe. Is that correct, Frank? Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me is weird that the month Monza used to be part of the month of May. Now we associate Formula One during the month of May with Monaco, even though it's not going to be in the same day anymore. But I think in a purposeful way so people can maybe encourage guys like maybe a Lando Norris someday. Anyway, that's beside the point. But passionate. And then hearing like the Dinner with Razors podcast and then Robin Miller talking about all those stories about Bobby Unser. Like you mentioned about Al, about uh, – Big Al, who like what Bobby said to him, he pretty much, I remember seeing one of Miller's sources that like he compared Al Unser to Gordon Johncock to Al Unser when it comes to the mechanical side. He's just like not afraid with it. It is, and if it's, and it may hurt some people, but hey, it's his own opinion. He may be right, maybe wrong. I don't know. I wasn't around that time to really know, but as somebody that had the dignity and knowledge too, he pretty much was like, did it did it all like 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 he was young but a young kid at heart that was very passionate about a lot of things and i think that's my grand takeaway being a a late 20s guy to see somebody do it and and we talked about it off off air about guys that won the indianapolis 500 for multiple teams both al and bobby have done it We, we might see it with juan montoya if he gets it done this year yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a little numerology that tells you we should have a three-time winner this year. But, again, those kind of things are largely coincidence in my mind. But, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Bobby Unser on the television broadcast, which he was uh, – it was him and Sam Posey were the color commentators um, during a, a large part of the cart year when I would, would watch these races religiously. And, um, you know, Bob – Bobby and uh, Sam Posey were very different. Sam Posey always tried to be very eloquent. You know, and he'd, he'd use, use big words and descriptive terms and, 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 and like set the scene. And the Bible would just tell you like it is, right? This is, you know, um, you know, like Sam Posey, oh, and these, these men here, they're chari- you know, they're, you know, gladiators to their chariots. And, and Bobby says, well, look, he hit the goddamn wall. Um, but uh, the funny thing is about Bobby Usher would always, more often than not, end a sentence with the phrase, just a little bit. He would say, oh, he's got to, got to go in and got to take, take air pressure out of those tires just a little bit. He need to tighten up that car just a little bit. Me and my buddies actually made that to a drinking game. <laughs> uh, you, you take take a drink every time Bobby Usher ends a sentence with just a little bit. And uh, we ended up drinking quite a bit. But, uh, you know, you know <laughs> being fortunate, it's just a little bit compared to Danny Sullivan saying, look at this or look at that every other time. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own little catchphrases and quirks, but uh, yeah, Bobby and Sam were, even though they seemed to be at odds with one another uh, when they were in the booth, they were, they were one of my favorites, uh, 
favorite broadcast duos um, during the races. So, Very but, but much it, like the uh, the sort of Murray Walker, James Hunt uh, things that you were mentioning earlier, though. Then, absolutely, yep. Love to hate each other, but had a huge mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Imagine if a speed jet was still around. I think you know how Sam Posey does all this stuff. I think everybody knows that. I would have loved to hear something from from Sam about a Bobby Oscar because I think it would have been quite compelling if a speed channel was still around or I don't know, NBC brings Sam Posey to do one last narration or something. I don't know. Uh, Sam, Sam Posey's not in great health either. He's, he's, he's been struggling. I can't remember off the top of my head what he's been uh, battling with, he, but he is, he is battling disease as well. Um, yeah. But, um, I, that's what I was figuring, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's, sure it's, they'll it's, do a big tribute thing with Robin Miller or somebody doing the voiceover. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's sad because we're losing these guys. You know, nobody's getting any younger. You know, somebody had posted a stat the other day that said there are now, you know, with with Bobby Unser's passing, there are only five living drivers that have driven a front engine car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and that would be you know AJ, Johnny Rutherford, Gordon Johncock, and Paul Goldsmith. And Paul Goldsmith is 95 years old. He's Paul Goldsmith is the oldest living person to compete in the 500. And he's also the oldest living person to compete in NASCAR. So like I said, but these, uh, you know, none of these guys are getting any younger and we hate to see them go. So, uh, you know, Godspeed, Bobby, uh, we'll certainly miss you, but, uh, you know, we, people will never stop talking about him or thinking about him in the racing world. You know, he's, he's carved an indelible, Mark in the, uh, the the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series. So speaking of the IndyCar Series, because we'll we'll move right into um, the two Texas races, which were kind of polar opposites of one another. The first race was, uh, what would you say, Louise? What word would you use? It was rather tame, annihilation. Rather, yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know very much follow the leader. Um, and nobody was able to get up into that high groove. You know, we've, we've already talked about the problems with the, the, the failure to remove all of the PJ one compound, how it's kind of wrecked the track for IndyCar and uh, Texas has no plans to discontinue applying the PJ one for NASCAR races, despite the fact they can't fully remove it. Uh, but, uh, so the, the opening, the first race produced Scott Dixon as the winner, Scott Dixon, who was now one win behind matching Mario Andretti on the all-time win list. Uh, you know, speaking of those, those old guard guys, um, Scott's getting into rare company there after he passes Mario. The, the only one ahead of him is AJ Foyt. Um, and Dixon also took the points lead, which is definitely not comfortable for anybody else in the field. And, and, uh, but there were a lot of the, you know, a lot, a lot of other guys had had pretty good runs there. Um, but it was just kind of lost in the fact that it was just Dixon domination. Well, the, aside from fellow Kiwi, Scott McLaughlin is finishing second in his oval debut. First oval race debut, he was able to get up there to get an excellent result. Sure, the following race, it wasn't the same replica, re, didn't reflect the same, but it shows you that they, from his perspective, it was a good way to start. But what I got from that race more than anything is just a couple guys put on a skid should look at Colton Herta who had like problems with the, the rear of the car that it became mechanical to the point that he couldn't finish the race. That's the kind of runs he cannot have at all, especially considering it's early in the season in uh, it's round three. You don't want to have those issues. Now with Dixon as the points leader, that is going to be tough for Colton to get back in. There's one thing to have in mid to late season, but you don't want to have an early season skid even for one race, because that's what hurt him big time in 2019 as a rookie after that Coda when he finished last or at the back of the field. So it was a tough break for him. And also you had Sebastian Bourdais, which is like, seems like every single year when he was in Indy, he's been in the IndyCar series in the past several years, he gets good runs going that one incident knocks him back to the bottom and he just has a hard time recovering. And then for the second race itself, it didn't help any better because he was collecting that big pile up when the green flag was literally dropped that involved Pietro Fittipaldi, Connor Daly, Alexander Rossi. That's another one that. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of early season skids, you know, Alexander Rossi, the guy who said championship or nothing looks like it's going to be nothing for him this year. 
Yeah, it's just bad. It was just a bad, wrong place, wrong time. Similar with the his incident with Graham at St. Pete. Just bad timing with that flat tire because of the contract. Now he got collected as something out of his own doing that took out several cars, and we went under yellow for 19 laps. It's just Andretti Autosports luck is just so inconsistent, literally inconsistent. You have a couple, the two strongest guys in your lineup had a bad week, bad weekend in Texas, bad. And then when you have the other ones in the middle of the road, they have their middle of the road performances with Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray. It's just, it's just, I don't know what it's going to take. And as far as once again, the arrow screen was put to the test with Connor on the upside down. Poor Connor Daly. That's the second time he had a nasty wreck at Texas. The second wreck he's had this year, if you look back to the truck race in Las Vegas, that was a scorcher. Yeah, that was a scorcher. Yeah. That was um... So anyway, so the winner of the second race, which you haven't mentioned yet, Louise, was your good buddy. Yep, my fellow Hispanic. Pato Award, yes. I mean, despite the Irish name, he is Hispanic. He's from Mexico of Irish heritage. Uh, but uh, we've been talking about this kid for two years, and we know he's good in his, I, you know, I think this this breakthrough win for him, um, he's uh, he silenced a lot of his critics, and uh, he just drove a superb race. And then and once he... You know, once he got around who he needed to get around, nobody could touch the guy. You know, he, no, was... he, he had the perfect race because the thing about the first couple of races this season is that he's wicked quick, but can he keep himself composed when things don't go his way or over becomes a little bit too aggressive to where his car gets, gets a little bit wild on him. I remember the lone practice session. He had a little bit of a moment with Dixon almost that's like, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He's quick. He's fierce. Just got to put the race together, manage his tires, be the team helping him out in strategy, which that really helped him a lot to be ahead of Dixon and Graham Rahal, who had a superb. He was basically at one point. He was basically he's like, where do you man? Graham Rahal. He's good. So good on those ovals. It's just keep him out of trouble and put him in the right spot. And then, boom, he's there. He really gave a challenge on Dixon. But Pato and even Joseph Newgarden for a bit. It's just uh, it's just the strategy worked in their favor far more, especially more so what after Felix Pato's teammate, who too is having an awful start to his new with his new team McLaren, had that loose wheel and that changed everything. And I guess clean air reigns supreme once more, which is hard to say, which I can't not believe I'm saying that at an Indy car race because when it comes to clean air reigns supreme, you think of NASCAR. But such an incredible win for Pato, first driver from Mexico to win an Indy car race is Adrian Fernandez. I think it's only Hector Rivac, Michelle Chordain Jr., for the aforementioned Fernandez and Mario Dominguez to have won previously from Mexico now at Auto Award. It's been a good couple months for, for Mexico with where, Sergio Perez winning last year. Uh, where is Carlos Huertas from? Is he, he's Colombian, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And no, Carlos Guerrero never won a race for those no, wondering. No, he didn't. No. So, anyway. Pat Award, yeah, we had talked about his uh, struggles with, uh, you know, maintaining his car. But, I mean, honest to God, just if, if you'd have said that somebody, some young kid is going to win his first race by beating Scott Dixon on fuel strategy, you know, <laughs> it just seemed like something out of a science fiction book. Yeah, already been you Joseph know, so. Newgarden, which Dixon from afar couldn't believe that Pato was able to get, to get by and beat Joseph like that, even him. And he did make an interesting comment on the in the NBCSN interview that he hopes it does 
Pato winning doesn't become frequent. I think that speaks volumes. <laughs> of, it kind of speaks volumes if, Pot, if Dixon says that because there may be, I don't know, maybe the young guys are going to be up there now that Pato finally got that win. Well, we're the beginning of a yeah, winning streak. We are four. We are four races in, and three of the races have been won by young guys. You know, uh, Golden Herd is in his uh, third year. Um, mm-hmm. Pato's in his two and a half. Yeah, and Alex is second change. year. Alex is in his second year, so you've got these young. And we get, and you got other young guys yet, um, who's who also look poised to win. Uh, you yeah. Know? So sure. now, Richard, you're being quiet over there. So I don't want you to drink all your beer at once. So uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Pato Award, the McLaren team, and um, your thoughts uh, with Texas, with the, the the track conditions and and whatnot. It was an interesting race, wasn't it? Oh, two races, I guess. You know, as you said, you you, you lost that high line uh, with this um, the compound, the PJ one compound that they put down, which you saw was it Hinchcliffe in the first race, just got like two wheels on it got a bit, little bit loose and uh, next up was the medical center for him. Unfortunately, it was, it was pretty brutal, really. Um, so yeah, it, it was a strange setup, really. It was, uh, you know, you, you wonder how long they can keep doing, you know, tracks that run both NASCAR and IndyCar because fundamentally the two different types of racing. And if you're trying to, horseshoe one of them into the other it's just not really going to work and i think we saw the uh saw the effects of that that uh this weekend but um it, it, it's amazing having spent the last three or four months watching uh you know cup cars on an oval and then suddenly seeing an indy car on an oval it's like these things are so fast <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a couple of spots, especially around the restart and the start of the races, where you're almost watching it from behind the sofa. You know, you're like, oh, this is going to be messy. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 rate of change of direction of an Indy car is just so much faster than a cup car. You know, these cup, you forget how heavy and wallowy those cup cars are. And uh, the um, Indy car, this is fantastic to watch. And uh, they may not be as good on an oval as a stock car, but they're fantastic to watch. And, you know, yeah, maybe it wasn't amazing racing, but some of those moves, you know, some of the driving you saw out there was first class. It really was. And, uh, you know, Dixon did what Dixon does. And um, it must be pretty demoralizing to the rest of the pack seeing, you know, what a four races into the season, he's already ahead in the championship. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a fairly healthy lead as well. Yeah, and um, you know he hadn't really done anything really until coming into Texas. You know, I mean, he hadn't finished high up in the first two races really, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, I mean, he'd he'd got on the podium in at uh, at the first race, and but it's you know it's consistent top fives, which is what the guy does. And uh, you know, even though he lost, he lost. You know, he's one of the few drivers that you can say when they don't win, they lose, can't you? Because he just expect to win so often. But you know, in a fourth place finish at uh, in the second race, it's solid. I mean, Award had a third in the first, Dixon had a first and the fourth. You know, you're dropping two or three points or whatever it is to your championship uh, rivals. But uh, yeah, I thought they were good races, really. Um, and I think what you know Award did was what basically what McLaren are paying him for. You know, they brought him in there to do this, and. You know, he's starting to execute. And again, we talk, I talk about the softness, execution in so many of these races. And, you know, that's where McLaren have a good pedigree. And it'll start to tell. And, you know, they're building into it. They didn't, you know, I remember there was a talk a couple of years ago when McLaren came in that they'd offered Scott Dixon you know, stupid amounts of money to go there. And in a way, I'm glad he didn't because it, it sort of shows that they're doing this the right way. You know, they haven't gone out and bought the best drivers and, and, and the like. You know, they've got a really good, solid engineering group there. They've got, um, you know, a good, smart team around them. And they've got, you know, a fantastic young driver and award who is, is certainly going to be one to sort of, um, you know, look at in the future. And, I mean, he's already, <coughs> excuse me, got the confirmation of a drive for, uh, or a test, should we say, sorry, for the... Um, 
For the Formula One uh, team, Formula yeah. One team. yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in, in Abu Dhabi at the end of the season. So that's going to be boss when that happens. That's going to be fantastic. Uh, Same with Groshan coming up too with Mercedes. Yeah. So there's a couple of little side notes there in Formula One which keep, you know, which, which keep everybody interested. But McLaren really are going about it, as I say, what I like to say, the right way. You know, they've got a ward there, Rosenquist, who is, you know, another young, you know, youngish guy. He's in his 20s still, isn't he? So. I think, you know, with a lot of experience in different racing series. So they're going about things the right way. And I'm, I'm pleased that it's really started to sort of work out for them. Um, and, you know, I, I worry. No, no, worry is not the wrong word. It wouldn't surprise me if next year your big four isn't, or your big three won't be McLaren, Penske and Ganassi. I think Andretti are spreading themselves a little bit too thin. Um, and you know, you look at the drive. You know, Rossi could have won the championship. Hunter A basically has won it, but not recently. Herters undoubtedly a talent. Yeah, you wonder whether those guys are going to start being like, okay. You know, if Ganassi or Penske or McLaren put a big contract under our nose, we're going to jump ship because Andretti just aren't producing the goods week 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 out like they need to be to be a serious regular championship contender. Yeah, and they, they haven't been for a number of years a regular championship contender, you know, other than recently, you know, uh, Rossi was uh, gunning for the championship, but but he was so far behind Dixon, he was never going to. Yeah, the summer, yeah. The, 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 2017 yeah. was their last great year. That even Hunter Ray had a mathematical shot at the championship, too. Right, but right. It's, but but at but, the end of the day, they, they keep saying the big three, and it's, it's really been the big two. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. Andretti's almost on a tier below. Uh, where you know Chip and Roger are with their teams, uh, and and, though, and McLaren, McLaren, like you say, they're stepping up. Yeah, but but, and, but you look at it's difficult to you look at Penske, and yeah, you know New Garden's what fourth in the championship with a couple of second places, uh, and Pagano, McLaughlin, and Power they're all in the top ten, but they haven't had that. You, know, you want to call it the X Factor or whatever you want to call it this year, have they? Something's and not quite yet. It's odd. Something's that... missing there. And I wonder if the whole sort of indie buyout has sort of maybe distracted them a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's unfair. Maybe your team like Pence, you don't get distracted. But I know they've just announced a new partnership with Porsche in the uh, IMSA and uh, Le Mans series. So there's a lot going on there. And, you know, you, you wonder if maybe it's a little bit too much. The nice thing about the McLaren setup is, yeah, they've got the name, but also they're remote in terms of the location and their engineering support from the rest of the team, you know, the Formula One team. Whereas all these other teams, you know, the Andretti, uh, Andretti's, re- I mean, I know they've got their uh, Formula E team, but again, they're reasonably, I think they've got an Extreme E team as well now. Uh, e team as well now. Yeah, extreme E team, Formula E. Then of course they've got Life's team, and, and yeah, they, so they, they also wonder, they also have a short track team. They they run out of the same. Uh, that's it, yeah, yeah. So you wonder how much of a distraction they have. Whereas McLaren and I know Ganassi have obviously have got the Formula, uh, sorry, the IndyCar and NASCAR teams, but they are in separate locations. You know, Penske, everything's done out of the shop in North Carolina. Whereas for Ganassi, they have separate locations. So. You wonder if maybe there's a little bit of distraction there. I mean, they'll rectify that pretty short, pretty soon. But even when I say Powers come second and New Garden's had a couple of seconds, and even McLaughlin came second in the first race there, didn't they? But, you know, they've never looked like winning, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they do like winning. (laughs) No, sorry. They haven't haven't looked like winning despite finishing every race so far this season. You know, other drivers who maybe finished slightly da- further down the down the field have looked more like winning, even if they've only finished fourth, fifth, or sixth. Right, right. Like uh, like Louis had mentioned, Graham Rahal looks solid at Texas. Yeah, and he came, you know, or, or even Award, you know, in the first race of the season. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, he. I think where did he finish? Fourth or fifth? You know, he, he finished looked- out of the podium after looking like he was probably going to win that one too. Yeah, so, you know, but he looked more like winning than Will Power did, who came second. Yeah. You know, there's something, it's interesting, that dynamic of how it's playing out so far this year, I think. Yeah, that is certainly true. And to bring back to what you mentioned about these race shops, doing it all under one roof, 
it feels like yesterday that Penske had different ones because they had Penske, regular Penske, and they had Penske South. Like I think one in Michigan or Pennsylvania and then the other one yeah, and yeah, elsewhere course, yeah. before they all morphed into just one big operation in Mooresville. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. So anyway, um, it is uh... – I did want to have one more question for you, Richard, uh, as far as getting back to the thing with the PJ one compound. Okay. Cause I'd read a social media comment and uh, they kind of read something like this. It said, I don't understand if Goodyear can produce a tire that works with that shit. Why can't Firestone produce a tire? And it's, <laughs> but the, the, it's, the issue is not the tire itself. Is it? It's the, no. it's, it's the, the, the loads on the car and, and oh, massively, massively. Yeah, and, and the, the, That's the, Oh yeah. goodness, mate! I, I'm glad I glad I never saw that comment. Otherwise, <laughs> you'd have to take somebody to school, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I want to. Yeah, I want to say stock, a stock car has a much higher coefficient of friction. Six tons or whatever. Well, no, <laughs> stupid amount, you know. Compared to a, you know, one person can push an Indy car. You know, you try pushing a stock car, and you, you break your back. You know, they're heavy. They're solid steel tubular frames. You know, whereas, if that makes sense, steel, solid steel, they're steel tubular frames that are very heavy. Um, and, you know, an IndyCar is a lightweight carbon fiber composite chassis, which you know, completely different animals, completely different. So you can't compare the two. Exactly. And, you know, the, the, the amount of energy that goes into a Firestone tire on an oval is just phenomenal compared to the amount of energy that goes into Goodyear tire. You know, the pressures on the Goodyear tires are a lot lower because they can do that. You know, they, I, I used the word earlier and I think it's quite, quite appropriate when we're talking about tire points, but wallowing, you know, you, you look at a, um, a, a cup car on a, on an oval, especially when you can, you watch video of an Indy car and a cup car, Texas is a prime example or wherever. And, you know, they do just wallow around the track, the cup cars. Um, I don't know what the lap time difference is, but it'll be, you know, multiple seconds. And it's they're just not as responsive from the driving standpoint. So the loads and the dynamic reaction to the tyre is a lot, lot lower in a cup car. In, in an Indy car, they have to run to higher pressures, which intrinsically give you less grip because you're running higher pressure because they have to react so fast. If you ran like those low pressures in an indicator, you'd be in the wall exiting the pit lane. If you even get out of the pit lane, because you'd be running on the, you know, just wouldn't work. So it's, yeah, they're completely different beasts. And that's what I said earlier. You know, I, I really don't understand the desire to run, especially the ovals. Now Indianapolis is a unique track you know it's not an oval in in my book in many ways it's a four-turn street course in many ways um because of the way you set the cars up and the way you'll run the cars but if you take it you know texas i think texas is the only oval that they both race at now isn't it uh yes yeah yeah because i think the uh gateway has the trucks i believe but they correct the yeah. Cup, cup, yeah. Cup yeah. On gateway, yeah 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 they have yeah, it, it's and just Arca. It's just not the same. I mean, the, what, actually, the first time I ever saw tr- trucks in person was at Kansas City or Kansas Speedway 11 years ago now, it would have been. And it was actually a doubleheader weekend, Indy cars one day, trucks the following day. And, you know, you could just tell the difference, you know, the, the responsiveness of the Indy car and the reactionary of the ways the cars react is, is unbelievable. And, um, yeah, it, it, they're just night and day apart. So I almost wish they wouldn't both go to the same track because it makes it an unfair comparison. Oh, it sure does. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Formula One. Uh, another Hamilton win, win number yes. 90, 97, I believe. Yeah, uh, and, and again, uh, one that he had to fight for. Again, mm-hmm. I, it's yeah. a lot like this year, Hamilton is proving to all his detractors that it's not just the car. He yeah. he's, he has put on some brilliant drives this year that that, that that it's all driver and of course that's you know that's that's the knock on Lewis Hamilton is that you know you could put anyone in that car and they would win oh. but uh, uh, Lewis is is 
you know, more so this year than in the past, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of demonstrating that, no, this is, this is, you know, a lot of me. Yes. The car is good, but yeah, another fantastic drive. So let's talk about that totally. uh, formula one race a little bit. Totally. I mean, you, everybody has this conceived this conception that Red Bull is faster than Mercedes this year. And partly that was coming from Red Bull, I was sorry, from Mercedes themselves. And I've talked about this before. It's starting to get a little bit annoying how much Toto and Mercedes downplay themselves. Like, oh, you know, if the race had been one lap longer, we wouldn't have finished the race and all this sort of crap that they come out with. And, oh, you know, Red Bull's three tenths of a second faster than us. Well, no, they're not. Okay, it's a lot closer than that. And on any given day at the moment, and that's what really, I think going to be the great thing between now and the end of the season, it's nip and tuck between the two, uh, between, you know, Verstappen and Hamilton. And that's how you want it. You know, you want it to be entertaining. And I, you know, Hamilton drove a fantastic race. Uh, you know, he dropped a spot early on the race, you know, to, to restart um, after uh, Kimi Raikkonen's uh, wing failure uh brought out the safety car you know hamilton was back down in third there for a little while and you know he passed verstappen and bottas on track which is no mean feat you know so you got to give the guy credit you really do and unfortunately you know it does go amiss at times the guy is a complete racer in many many ways he has elements of all the great drivers you know you could argue that two of the best are Senna and Prost and he has that flair of Senna at times and that ability to find a tenth two tenths three tenths of a second when nobody else can find it but he also has that like ability to calculate a race like Prost did Um, and in many ways you know I guess a comparable would be to, to Schumacher as well you know, they, both Hamilton and Schumacher, I think, are very comparable drivers in the way that they maybe weren't, you know, if you take five or six categories, if you like, that go into making up a race driver, you know, they may not be the best at all of them, but they're in the top two or three in all categories. And at the end of the day, that all comes out to make them, you know, w- w- you know the best driver of their generation for certain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now uh, who rounded out the podium? It was... Uh... Verstappen second, and Bottas came in third Bottas, there with Bottas came Perez. Third, yeah, Perez in fourth. Um, and yeah, Perez did a good race. You know, drove a good race. And and I was talking to uh, one of the guys I was watching the race with actually on Sunday morning. There, it's like that drive is why Red Bull picked Perez over Albon because Albon it just wouldn't have worked for him. He just wouldn't have been able to you know, get that done. You know, yeah, Perez had a bit of a rough weekend in uh, Imola, um, you know, two weeks prior. But, you know, he stepped up and he had a great finish this weekend. And, you know, people saying, oh, Red Bull kept him out there on the, you know, on that really long stint at the start of the race to try and block Hamilton. Well, no, they didn't. You know, if anybody knows anything about Perez, he's the one guy out there that can, you know, take a tyre that can last 30 laps and make it last 40 laps just as we know he's, fantastic tire management so you're always going to see that you know if he has an option if Perez has the ability to go long in a stint he will do it and um you know it it, it showed it at the end there and um I thought he drove well did he win the official Formula One driver of the uh driver of the race poll I think that was a little bit optimistic I think there's a lot a lot of guys who probably drove better than him out there but he did a solid job and again that's what Red Bull picked him up for to do a solid job yeah, you've got to have that constructor championship in mind. You know, you've got to have you a do. you got to have a solid number two, and Albon just wasn't the guy. Unfortunately, now, not. No, now, for sure. Now, speaking of solid number twos, there's some chatter <laughs> that Baltas may be replaced by the end of the year. Is there is there any is there any legs to that story, or is that just no? Out of no I haven't no. heard much about Baltas's future yet. I so. The, 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 I think there's one move that we could see. You know, if, if you take all the drivers' contracts that are out there at the moment, I think the one guy that may break his contract or you know mutual termination or whatever is is Patel. I just something's not right. He doesn't have that mojo or whatever you want to call it, um, and he hasn't had it for a few years, really. 
uh, which is a shame. He hasn't had it since Hockenheim 18, if you want to go that far in my book. Well, yeah, when he stuck it in the wall, yeah, in the rain. And and maybe that's what it is. You know, we all know that race drivers, like all athletes, are very fickle individuals. But, yeah, there's been something missing there for a while. And he had a few good races in 19 there when the Ferrari was reasonably competent. But, you know, Leclerc was sort of showing up a little bit there. And, um, you know, they... There's something missing there. Does he really want to draft for Aston Martin? Is he all about turning Aston Martin into a championship-winning team? I mean, for a start, I don't think in the next five years, Aston Martin will be a championship-winning team. Uh, you know, to be, to be brutally honest, I, you know, I know they, what they're investing heavily. They've got a new factory there on, on, at Silverstone, which is going to be uh, you know, the breaking ground. If they haven't broken ground already, they will be soon. They're investing heavily in new staff. So, yeah, they, they, they're they certainly trying to create something. But, you know, you look at it, everybody's investing in new stuff, you know, uh, at, at the moment. Williams are investing heavily. Um, you know, Alpine are investing heavily. Mercedes always have a good, you know, investment. Red Bull are investing heavily with, on their new engine side. So there's a lot of everybody's doing what Aston Martin claim to be doing as if it's the, they're the only ones doing it. So I... I, I if they stick with, and I'm not being disrespectful because I think the, the guy obviously has grown into it, but if they're sticking with Lance Stroll as their driver, they're, they're you know, putting all their eggs into the Lance Stroll basket. It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. As much as I, I, I'd like, I think he's a nice guy, I'd like to see him do it. He's just not, again, he doesn't have that edge and that little bit extra that you need to be a championship driver. And if he, if he does win the championship by some miracle, you know... <sighs> I mean, I, I hate to be one of the people that ever says, you know, nobody deserves to win a championship when they, they do deserve it because they've got more points than anybody. You do question it. You think, eh, you know, is he really all that? And um, so it hasn't happened really much since, like, I don't know, deep in the 70s and early 80s when you got, you had Schechter and Alan Jones winning the championship, but afterwards they didn't really do much. Yeah, I mean, people sort of question Damon Hill a little bit and, uh, you know, Button yeah, winning I mean, the championships as if they're... Or even Villeneuve, because after 97, he hadn't won anything again, really. Yeah, well, he made that, well, he did, he made, made that move to the VAR team, which was probably a bad move, should have stayed where he was. Well, then, yeah. then, the, then the other one that always comes to mind is K.K. Rosberg, who only won, yeah. a, cha- only won a championship by default because uh, uh, Villeneuve perished in an accident and then Peroni yeah. way ahead of the, was, was severely injured and, you know... Yeah, oh, and, for sure. And then, right. and then he almost and he almost lost that one to John Watson, who's you know, yeah. a perennial, you know, place, number two. Carlos Reutemann was in the mix in around that time or a little bit beforehand. Eighty-one, Reutemann was leading the championship going into the finale and totally choked. And yeah. PK won. Yeah, yeah. But the eighties was an interesting time period before Senna and Prost really took off. Oh yeah, the eighties, the, the, the early eighties were fantastic years. Turbo era, yeah, because there was so much. So much parody you had. I want to say 82, you had 11 different winners. Yeah. 11 different winners from, I think, seven different teams. That was the and, year that Rosberg won, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And that's one of the reasons we won because the, the, the wins were so spread out yeah. amongst everybody. But, uh, but Peroni would have won that had he finished the season. Matter but, of yeah. fact, yeah, Peroni was still leading the points going into the finale yeah. after, after missing three or four races. Yeah. So. Uh, and that was the year with the San Marino race, wasn't it? When like three cars entered or something. It was the Fokker uh, um, disagreement, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, think... Very, very early in the. That's very early in the season. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Like, wasn't that eighty one and eighty two was the fallout with Villeneuve and Peroni, or was it the same race, same year? Oh, was it, that, was an, that was in eighty two. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Because the, the Fokker one must have been the, the year before then. Now that, I'm just looking at it. Now that was eighty two. Okay, so yeah, yeah, you have Foca and then the Ferrari fall off. Yeah, yeah, that was a bleak. And then unfortunately, Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve was killed the following race at uh, in Belgium. But but going back to uh, you know, I hate to sort of cut Gilles Villeneuve off there, uh, you know. But um, uh, that's exactly what Peroni did to piss him off. Well, very true. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to um, you know the, the, the current state, if if. You know, Seb doesn't complete the season. I think he'll complete the season, but if he doesn't extend it or, you know, if he does terminate his contract, I could quite easily see, um, you know, George Russell stepping up into that seat. I think George has to, as much as I hate to say it, because as you all know, that I have a very soft spot for them. George needs to leave Williams. Um, you know, again, I hate to say that, but I just feel that he does. I think 
for him to achieve what he wants to achieve and what his talent enables him to achieve. Uh, you know, he needs to be at somebody at a team that is more competitive. Hey, he needs and to be, I, be with a team that's backed by a major manufacturer as the, the, as the factory team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and a strong I, number one, because let's face it with Lance Stroll. Yes. He's viewed as the number one driver. Uh, I mean, um, in my, in, in my opinion, George would, would, Oh yeah, no. That's what I said. The cleaners. Yeah, you know, no question. If um, George goes there, he's he has to be the number one driver because they have Vettel as the number two. Yeah, despite uh, being the marketable name. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, I mean they 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 showed that in in Portugal where Stroll got the you know aero upgrades and Vettel didn't, which um, Vettel was quite vocal about. <laughs> but um, no, I I think that you know. Williams will be successful. You know, they will achieve, you know, some, some strong, you know, results in the future. I think they'll progress up through the field, but it will be, you know, not next year or the year after, you know, it's going to take three or four years. You know, as I say, they've got a big recruitment push going at the moment and take a while for that to come to fruition. But uh, I, I think they'll get there. It's just going to take time. And I think George needs to go somewhere. And I think if there's going to be a big change in, driver position next year and Williams, I mean, sorry, Mercedes do decide to keep Bottas, then I think he I, I think he'll go to um, Alpha, oh sorry, uh, Aston Martin there. If if Bottas does leave, if they do decide to go another direction, you, you, you think they've got to look at Russell. Would Bottas go to Williams or would Bottas go to Aston Martin? Again, they're all the rumours that have been talked about. Um you know, who knows? I think Bottas at Williams would actually be quite a good fit if they want to improve, develop, and, and maybe keep that strong, close relationship with Mercedes. Um, I just think there's, I don't know, something just doesn't sit right with the whole Aston Martin thing. You know, maybe I'm being, you know, a little bit, I don't know, but something. I, I, if, if, right. I haven't seen where they've moved the needle at all from, no. from when they're, they were Force India, honestly. Yeah, they're, 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 they're at a bad position. They're not doing too well compared to when they had the quote-unquote carbon copy of the Mercedes last year as racing points. They're not really in the mix in the top five. They're barely cranking on the points. As much as Vettel had that good qualifying performance like this past weekend, the race is still not, race performance is still not there. Exactly. So anyway, we, uh, we have the next week off, right? Uh, no, we're in uh, Barcelona this weekend in Spain. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. So, uh, you care to pick a winner from Barcelona then? Um, oh, good grief. Which one is it? <laughs> um, let's go Verstappen. I, I, yeah, I mean, you can, geez. It's like, yeah, yeah picking no. Formula One is like, yeah, see, either Lewis yeah. is going like to win. It's like a time cost, isn't it, really? You yeah, know? Lewis is going to win, or something weird will happen, you know? <laughs> It's it's Catalonia now, is it? It's not quite that bad. Not quite bad, yeah, yeah. Red Bull's a lot closer than they have been. Yeah, yeah, but it's Catalonia. It's going to probably go one or the other. It's going to be competitive or fierce and unpredictable, or just plain Manila. Yeah, I think it's going to be the latter of those two. I mean, unfortunately, Catalonia is one of the circuits that the drivers and the teams know so well that it's going to be. They know exactly the setup, you know. Barcelona, you know, because everybody tests there so much, you know, you've got your setup within single-digit percentages, you know, in terms of your your ride heights and your pressures and your wing angles and all, the, you know, everything that you can change on a car, you know, you're not going to throw, you know, you're not going to change probably more than 5%, if not 2%. You know, you're going to, just going to be fine-tuning for the weather conditions in terms of temperatures and, and wind speeds, maybe. Um, you know they they know exactly what the car's going to do around there, so that's a good and a bad thing for the uh, for the race. Exactly. Now, Louise, who do you like? So see, says Richard Pickford step, and I'm probably going to go with Hamilton on this one. So then you leave me for the something weird happens pick. So <laughs> I'll say I'll say maybe Baltas wins this one. Says so just to shut up everybody that's trying to put him out of the car before the season's up. So anyway. Um, so NASCAR was in Kansas, uh, and one of the most interesting race titles we've seen, the race was sponsored by Bush beer and they had a little social media contest where they had a few different, really silly, uh, race titles and they let the fans vote. And the ones the fans fans voted for was the Bushy McBush, 
and <laughs> which I the Bushy McBush race 400, the Bushy yeah, McBush yeah. 400, which I don't some know, folks, it sounds folks, silly yeah. and it sounds a little dirty all at the same time. But wouldn't some you people know, don't even want to call it that. Some people are saying the Anheuser Bush 400 or the Mark Sebeka 400 is like it's the Bushy McBush race 400. Bushy McBush. Which is funny. I like I like anything that's a little clever and funny, you know. But uh, wouldn't you know, Kyle Bush wins the Bushy McBush race, you know. So, uh, but uh, Kyle, uh, he um, kind of was almost gifted it uh, the, the way it, the final sequences kind of played out. What do you think, Louise? It felt gifted, but Kyle had a good car all day for the most part. It was just Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin was his, the two imposable threats to him. And just the late race battle with Hamlin hitting the wall and then Larson and then that final race started and especially later going, just couldn't get going and it and opened the door for Kyle Bush and then Kevin Harvick, the boat driver of the number four Bush Beer Ford, that finished second. But this was like finally a race where we could say Kyle had a good car, a real good car. We talked about over the past year how the pandemic has hurt Kyle with no practice and qualifying. And also he got that chip on his shoulder that he had to have a strong performance because whatever scene that's going on with his wife, Samantha and all of that, it was an emotional win. And also probably sometimes when you have something unfortunate happen on the family side or the personal side, you'll see them step up the game. I feel like Kyle really stepped up his game, but the car was solid for the most part, not the best one, because I give that to Kyle Larson, who was my driver of the day for last Sunday, but they got that win out of the bell. Now he is one win away from equaling Richard Petty for the for the record of most consecutive wins with at least one victory at 18. He's now surpassed David Pearson. So most consecutive seasons with at least, with at least one win? That is correct. Okay, all right. Um, so I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, th- this caution at the end, setting up the final restart, there's a little controversy the, the, couple the, cautions yeah well, well one of them were the the people were in the middle of making pit stops and somebody lost a tire yeah tyler reddick lost the tire, tire the tire went into the grass mm-hmm. they, they let everybody finish their pit stops and then called a yellow which was ridiculous and exactly like it, yeah just see that's like seemed, a competition yellow that didn't need to be a competition if the tire rolls out and the pits is in the grass you either throw it or don't do it i remember at different timings i know that 20 years ago, in Daytona 500, Kyle Petty had a loose wheel. It was more in the center of the grass. No yellow. Not one yellow. But, of course, safety and regulations. And I imagine after the fallout with one of Marcus Ambrose's crew member at Atlanta, they don't want to play that game. They want to be careful. But if that tire rolled out, they should have waved the yellow right out of the gate. Right out of the no gate. Issue. Yeah. yeah if, the if whole people got the... hose, Yeah. If people yeah. got hosed, that's too bad. They would have benefited Chris Buescher or something. For sure, but hey, that's just the nature of the beast. The fact that they did it after everybody done is like, what was the point? They should have done it then, or none at all. Exactly. Okay, so you agree with me on that. But we do have about nine minutes left in the show, and NASCAR had the big unveil of the three different body styles for the next gen car. And Louise, did you get a chance to look at them? Yeah, I barely made it in a time after doing some carding in Oklahoma and all that, get the Burger King and all that jazz. There are some nice-looking cars. Of course, the new gen was unveiled with Chase Elliott representing Chevrolet, the Camaro ZL1. They dropped The 1LE thing is not going to be a thing anymore. Joey Logano representing the new Ford Mustang, which, in my opinion, wins the most aesthetically pleasing-looking car because it does look like its counterpart. And Danny Hamlin representing the Toyota Camry. Some people are saying, oh, what about the Supra? Based on that announcement, David Wilson, the president of Toyota Racing Development, said he liked the idea of having three different styles in all three series, with the trucks being the Tundra, Xfinity being the Supra, and Cup being the Camry. Yeah, but- I, mean, I, I kind of agree with that marketing strategy. If you're in three different series, you know, showcase three of your models. Yeah, but is it also the... Oh, no, it's not the Camry, is it? I was going to say it's the biggest selling car of all time. It's the... Um- the other Toyota, um, not Camry, the um, Celica Corolla. Corolla, yeah, Toyota Corolla is the biggest selling car of all time. So, yeah, I'll shut up now. Carry on. Okay, yeah. no, no, Richard, <laughs> Richard, no, Richard, okay. Richard, Richard what, what are your thoughts on the, 
the next gen car. I know you, you've worked in NASCAR. You've worked on these cars extensively. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like they're making a lot of strides into the 21st century. Finally. Yeah. They are. Now, obviously it's going to alienate the old, uh, you know, I was just reading even one of the leading, you know, motorsport.com, you know, probably one of the, even not the leading motorsport publication globally. And even there, there was like some, Oh, we need to get Toyota out of NASCAR. They got no place, no place being in America. I said, get over it, you know. And yeah, um, I, I get sick of hearing that. You know how many Toyotas are made in the United States? Exactly. Their, uh, their main base is like what Kentucky. Even the yeah, basketball part. Barry Kirby, like the back bumper, yeah. now even includes the Kentucky license plate in the back of a Toyota. Right. Yeah. The, the the Camry is the Camry is made in Georgetown, Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and of course, at the same time. Chevrolet and Ford build a lot of cars overseas as well. There's yeah, no, there's like no Mexico. Even Dodge was now kind yeah, of but, an but Italian base. But all these, all yeah, these, Dodge by uh, yeah, uh, all these major car corporations are essentially global companies. Of course, yes, yeah. yes, they may have origins or yeah. be based in a certain country, but they're all global companies. And this whole, <laughs> this is a, you know, this this feeling. I don't know. You know, we don't want the rice burners here and this should be just yeah, for yeah. Americans. It's like, get over it. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, I, I worked for a, a Swedish manuf- automotive manufacturer. Um, and one of the reasons we struggle to sell our products in the U S is because, Oh, that's a foreign brand, but we are the only company that produce our particular style of vehicles solely in the U S all of our major competitors who are U.S. themed com- or U.S. companies in quotation marks all produce their vehicles outside of the U.S. Whereas we, as a Swedish company, produce all of our vehicles in the U.S. And it's, it's such a difficult thing to get over. But anyway, we're not going into that tonight because I'll be here all night on that one. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> a, I, I didn't, that's a little I didn't off do, topic. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to say, I didn't but, do uh, Volvo were interested in something in America. No, if it know. is Volvo, it, yeah, yeah, it's their trucking department anyway. Volvo, ah, okay, yeah, makes so, sense. yeah, we we produce uh, Volvo trucks produces their, um, you know, all of their trucks in North America, whereas our competitors produce, uh, you know, in, in other parts of the world. Um, so if anybody out there is looking to buy a big class eight truck, go and buy Volvos. Anyway, that's my plug for the night. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, yeah. So, so in terms of these cars, I think it's you know, as you say, you've got to keep moving, you've got to keep moving forward, and um, you know. It, it's sort of interesting, you know, you made those comments earlier where, uh, you know, Frank, where you said you had, uh, you know, Bobby Unser on the show a few years ago and he was saying, you know, races shouldn't be won by a computer. Well, you know what? You're right. At the end of the day, the driver still has to be the, you know, determining factor. But we live in a computer age. We live in the world of computers and computer systems, everything. You know, how many computers do we interact with on a daily basis? You know hundreds probably in our daily lives everything from you know our phones to the tv to even you know in in your car you've probably got five or six different computers at least um you know unless you want to drive an old 1960s truck which is what people want nascar to be uh you know we've got to move forward and i i firmly believe that nascar needs to do more to sell this side of things you know they're losing their fan base, you know, because the guys, you know, that you're not being funny, but that generation is getting older and you, know, you hate to say it. There's less, less of them around to watch NASCAR, you know, guys in the seventies and eighties aren't going to go and, you know, spend six hours freezing the backsides off at Martinsville in March. Are they, you know, it's just the way of the world. You know, you've got to mind you, not many, you know, 20 <laughs> year old kids are going to do the same thing, but you've got to, you know, sell it as a new product and something new and exciting and and different. And I, I I believe this is the right step. And now they've got to market it different. They've got to market it, market it almost in the same way that Formula One does. You know, you look at all the commercials that Formula One has for, you know, um, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton has the CrowdStrike stuff. You know, Hewlett Packard are big sponsors in there. There's a lot of technology companies involved in Formula One, and they spot and they market it based around that technology that they have yeah even in uh, car back in the day with ads and all those computer companies yeah too. they still do that in car you know you see the honda stuff that they do in car you know it's mm-hmm. they're they're pushing that side of it. i think they've really got to pick that up now and really push that because if they don't you're just going to get in this 
gradual decline and it's not going to get better. You know, they've got to make the first steps now to have this new product and really, really push it. Yeah, one thing to bring up is also they're going through like a single, like a like sequential gearing, mm-hmm. a single lock does a lot of new yep. changes to not just for an advancement but also safety as well. Yeah, and I think it's like I think it was Danny Hamill that mentioned it in the Zoom call after the big announcement that it's going to put a lot of de- uh, more to the driver's hand, a lot of controlling their own destiny type of board deals, but also there's some saying that because at a at a viewpoint to where they won't know until much later in the season one more testing comes along to get a good grip of the card. Like Chase Elliott was talking, brought up that it may not feel any different than what they're dealing with now on the road course and po- yeah. like Pocono where gearing is involved, but some yeah. do. It's just a difference of, and even difference of who's done it and who has yet to do it. So probably was, once I've... the fall comes along, we'll know more. I, I'm pretty certain you'll see a big difference in the cars. You know, they've got a lot of new concepts going in here. Um, you know, sequential gearing is going to be a huge thing. Just how you drive the cars. I think it's going to be a lot more drivable on road courses. Almost like an IMSA vehicle, you know, in many ways. Yeah, that's what I was, I was I saying. Heard IMSA, I heard supercars as well, which would probably yeah. Yeah, you think maybe Truex could be an early adapter yeah. based on you, who well, they had I mean, in the past as crew chiefs. I mean, you, you look at, well, exactly. You know, you look at James Smalls, who's the crew chief at, uh, you know, Futterix. You know, he came from the Aussie V8 supercars. And there's a couple of other guys that have come over from Australia in that series. And yeah, there could be some pretty big similarities. Um, and some people are tuning in. I know, I think, if memory serves correctly, Matt Weber is looking more into the supercars because that could be a possibility how the cars will run. Yeah. On the road oh, yeah. You, you could definitely see that. You could definitely, definitely see that. And also the fact that they're going to be, um, symmetrical as well you know i know nascar have gone a long long way since like the 90s when you watch those cars going down like a back straight somewhere and they're at like a 20 degree angle almost going in a straight line and you know the the, the, each side of the cars you know bent and twisted and contorted you know these are from my understanding going to be perfectly um you know symmetrical cars so you you know drafting is going to change quite considerably i think um you know, other things are going to be different in there. You know, they they got the composite bodies, so and also they the, have a seven car cap up per race per team. I'd imagine the yeah, cars, and that'll be interesting as well because now typically what you'd find is, you know, I know when we were there, you know, as you go through the season, you know, you, you'll you'll start off this. You don't, you know, I think what's the cap at the moment? Twelve, is it? You seven cars okay, but at team. the moment it's 12 i think isn't oh it? at the moment I believe so. so at the moment you would start with one or you know you'd start with maybe three or four chassis come to the start of the season and then you'd you know as you go through the season you build new ones as necessary and and the like but you know you'd tweak on them and you change them and you'd find well actually you know for you know we've got a different suspension mount geometry or we're changing you know, some of the front clip or the rear clip or whatever it may be, just to give us a little bit more compliance or give us a little bit more area to work in. And obviously now these are all a uniform chassis, which are going to be made by Delara. And it's just going to be like, okay, guys, this is what you got. Get on with it. Which I think that's going to be a huge difference as well. You know, what you, what you start the season with is what you end the season with. You know, there's going to be very little, and it's going to be hard for the crew chiefs because, you know, uh, certain crew chiefs, especially one some of the guys that I've worked with, they they don't fully understand the concepts of engineering at times, and they think what they're doing is this like black magic stuff. You know, it's not. It's just you know, like when they when they push on a body and you know push a panel in a little bit and put a bit. You know, that's not magic. That's aerodynamics. You just don't realize you're doing it. You know. <laughs> It's true, though. But now that's going to be a lot harder for them. So they're going to have to go back to your core engineering principles. So it's the so to my money, it's the teams with that. And I'm obviously going to say this because I'm biased to it. But it's the teams with this core backbone of engineering support. And I think Hendrick will be strong because Hendrick have always been, you know, an engineering organization at, at heart. Um, I think Penske will do well under these new regulations. Um, I think Gibbs may struggle a little bit. Certain groups within the organization may struggle a little bit. Um, 
I may be wrong in saying that. I think Ganassi will do well because obviously they're used to that sort of mentality with the IndyCar series. But of course, you know, as you mentioned, they're from different different setups and different shops there. So there may be not as much crosstalk as you see with, with Penske. But I think the teams with this true engineering core will be the ones that will be successful because you're going that way and you can't do anything to stop it. All right. So speaking of stopping it, we are out of time. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's fine. That's all the time. So we good. Tonight, I so. gave my thoughts already. All right. Good. Well, it'd be interesting to see when this new car hits the track in the fall, like you said. Um, and uh, so we've got uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix coming up this month in the Indy 500 qualifying, and then the Indy 500 at the end of the month. We've got the Monaco Grand Prix coming up, uh, as well yeah. as the Coca Cola 600. Uh, all all our great month of May stuff is ahead of us. Uh, but tonight's show is behind us. So, uh, I want to thank, uh, the Hoobazoo radio network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, speaker, Google podcasts, and YouTube. And I want to thank you, Louise. And I want to thank you, Richard. And I want to thank you folks that listen to us week in and week out. But until next week, good night. Enter your website, enter your website, enter your website, enter your website.